play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Lynn Shelton. Lynn has written and directed a bunch of indie films like Hump Day and Your Sister's Sister, and her brand new film is called Sword of Trust, starring Mark Marin. Lynn has always prioritized filmmaking, but a girl's got to pay the bills, so she's directed episodes of Mad Men, The Mindy Project, Love, Shameless, New Girl, the list goes on and on. It's a pretty sweet side hustle. And Lynn loves food, but unfortunately, there is so much that she can't eat. I have the list right here. No gluten, no soy, no corn, no dairy, no meat, no beans. (laughs) As you can hear, Lynn is too joyful to let a bunch of allergies get in the way of her happiness. But one place she found solace is at Flying Apron Bakery, Seattle's first gluten-free and plant-based bakery and cafe. So I chat with owner Angela Koff about the grieving and mourning a person experiences when they're told they have to give up some of their favorite and most comforting foods. A lot of the people that walk in are, for the first time in years, able to have something that they thought they weren't going to be able to enjoy again. And there's all the emotion that leads into that. And what happens when you graduate from pastry school and then you find out you can't even be in the same room as a bag of flour. The diagnosis with celiac disease and the sudden realization that I had just invested $50,000 in a profession that was going to kill me. Elisa Castle tells her story. But first, my interview with Lynn Shelton. I read that you wanted to be a film director, but you were worried that you were perhaps past your prime. You're in your mid-30s. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I I, um, I always wanted to be a film director, but I didn't really feel ready until after I'd gone through this very long, circuitous route and became a film director. But I started as an actor. I got a theater degree at the University of Washington. Then I moved to New York to make a living as a theater actor and immediately realized it was not going to be a good life for me. And I ended up transferring my addiction for the stage over to photography and went to the School of Visual Arts in graduate school for photography, where I started making experimental films and videos. So after I got out of school, I was making films as a solo artist, but really non-commercial work, just completely, you know, there was nothing, (laughs) nothing commercial or even really accessible about them. And I was doing everything myself. And then I was making my living as an editor and teaching other people how to edit. Saw Claire Denis, who's a French director who came to town, Northwest Film Forum brought her and uh, did a retrospective of her work. And in this onstage interview she did, she revealed that she hadn't even started her career as a filmmaker until she was 40. And she'd already made a bunch of movies and now she's made a bunch more. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a lady too. And I'm not quite 40 (laughs) and it means I can... I can still have a career. And she truly was a a huge inspiration for me to just dive in and and get going. 
I love that so much. And that's why Julia Child is one of my heroes because of the same reason. Like she didn't learn to cook till she was 40. I think she didn't either have her TV show or write her first book till she was 50. And there's just this really great hope in knowing that you don't have to shove everything into your life when you're really young and you can still continue to create things and and totally reinvent yourself later in life. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very inspiring. And and, and honestly, we bring so much more to the table because we've actually lived life a little bit, you know, so I feel like I could bring more to my more perception and and, um, sensitivity and experience, you know, to my stories. Lynn called me on her drive into work. She's a very busy lady. She's currently producing and directing the Hulu limited series Little Fires Everywhere, starring Reese Witherspoon, Kerry Washington and Rosemary DeWitt. It's based on the best-selling novel of the same name. You've always been a film director, but then you have been doing a lot of TV. You've directed episodes of Mad Men and New Girl, The Mindy Project, Fresh Off the Boat, etc., etc. But I understand that early on in your filmmaking career, you were kind of anti-TV. How did you warm up to that idea? It wasn't that I was anti-TV. I just saw it as more of a paycheck, you know, a way to pay the bills which I was very grateful for. <laughs> I mean, my first job being Mad Men, my first TV gig being Mad Men was insane. I was my favorite TV show. I always had a lot of respect for television. I just, I, I passed up a lot, a lot of opportunities to do pilots because I was always sort of saving up my creative capital for my movies. And I was happy to just do guest episodic work and bring in all my filmmaking tools to that job. But it was more of a, of a paycheck, you know? But first of all, I, I just fell in love with television. I love the relationship. It's, it's highly collaborative. I mean, film is collaborative, but as a director in television, you're not the creative visionary unless it was your idea for the show. And, you know, you're working in service of channeling somebody else's creative vision, but the people that you're working with are incredible. <laughs> and now we shall gracefully transition from TV and movies into food. What would your last meal be? Well, that's a pretty easy one. I have a hugely restricted diet um, because my body doesn't want to have let me have any fun. So anytime I eat most of the foods that I really love in this world, I get terrible cramps and all kinds of other problems. So my last, <laughs> I'm the last meal on earth would consist solely of all the foods that I'm de- currently deprived of. So I would have probably a giant baguette and butter, I would have um, several different flavors of really high-quality um, Italian gelato. I would have, you know, basically the, the uh, let me see, well, can I not eat? <laughs> oh, I have the list. I have the list right here. Yeah. No gluten, no soy, no corn, no dairy, no meat, no beans. <laughs> yes. Um, in addition to, oh, the other thing that I can't eat, that it got added to the list, um, most fun of all is garlic and onion. So eating out is pretty much impossible for me unless I'm having like, you know, sashimi. I can have like raw fish. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would I would have, um, and I actually did add meat back. I can eat meat, so I've been eating meat again because I just once I took garlic and onions off, and along with a bunch of other, just think all the low FODMAP diet. It's just insane. Oh, sugar. So I I don't eat sugar. I don't eat dairy. So yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I probably would just have a giant bowl of ice cream. I've been craving ice cream so badly, with like yeah, with like cookie dough in it. <laughs> yeah, I would just go with that. So what do you do to fulfill these cravings since you can't have something like that? I mean, there's so many substitutions now. Is there an ice cream that you can eat? 
you know, I have not yet discovered one because I don't, I don't, can't eat any, any sugar at all. That, so anything that ends with oats, right? Um, dextrose, sucrose, fructose, glucose, all of the oses, that includes everything. Like, you know, fruit, I can't have fruit. So the only sweetener that I, and I don't really do well with um, sugar alcohols either, like all the alls, you know, the maltolols and all those. So sorbitol, that kind of stuff. So I, I really am sort of stuck with um, stevia. That's the only thing I can, I can do. So I have this fantasy that I'm going to get an ice cream machine and I'm going to, I'm going to sort of, you know, experiment and, and try to figure out like a, a nut milk based ice cream that's just only has stevia in it. I know that texture-wise, scientifically, it's going to be hard to get the right texture. But actually, re- recently I've discovered this is like the simplest thing. But I have this magic bullet, and I've been uh, blending the heck out of almond milk and stevia and cocoa powder and a bunch of ice cubes. And it's actually a pretty damn good facsimile of a chocolate milkshake. I know these things that you kind of get desperate that you're like, I can taste it. It exactly. tastes like a milkshake to me. <laughs> exactly. It's really just like a bunch of chopped ice in the middle of some, you know, sad almond milk. But yeah, no, for me, it's like pure joy. You use your <laughs> imagination. So deprived. Exactly. You got to use your, got to bring your imagination to the table. Yes. <laughs> Good use of it. And so if your last meal is a big bowl of ice cream, what flavor would you want? <laughs> oh God. Let me see. After I stopped being able to eat ice cream, it's like all these artisanal places started popping up with all these great like where were we recently? I was in New York recently and there was this Earl Grey ice cream and there was like these salted caramels and I love salt and sugar um, together, you know, like France salted chocolates, those little, you know, when they started coming up with those smoked sea salt, yes. you know, caramels, I'm just like, good, give, oh God, kill me. <laughs> I just, I love that combination. Cause I'm a big salt freak too. So, but I also have a sweet tooth. So the, those two combined are just incredible. So any kind of any kind of one of those fancy, schmancy, newer ones. I, but I've always liked classic. I probably, I like something with chunks. So something like peanut butter cup, you know, mint chip, walnuts, you know, kind of nuts in there. Rocky Road without the marshmallows. I don't really like marshmallows. <laughs> Dig out the little treasures, you know, that's my favorite. Lynn wants a bowl of fancy artisan ice cream, like salted caramel or Earl Grey, with lots of chunks of walnuts and cookie dough and peanut butter cups. But she can't eat any of that. These are all forbidden foods for Lynn. She can't have gluten, dairy, sugar, fruit, onions, garlic, beans, soy, corn. Yet, she appears to be the happiest, most joyful person in the world. In the words of film director Rob Reiner's mother in the film When Harry Met Sally, I'll have what she's having. And I just want to throw in a little trivia right here. When Harry Met Sally just had its 30th anniversary, and I read an article that that woman off to the side of their table in Katz's Deli, responsible for that famous line, is Rob Reiner's mother. And apparently, Meg Ryan was having a hard time getting that scene right. If you've seen the movie, you know that's when she fakes an orgasm at the table across from Billy Crystal. She said she was feeling self-conscious because she didn't want her boyfriend to see her do that scene. So Rob Reiner hopped in and he's like, this is how I want it done. And he had to do that in front of his mother, which seems way more embarrassing than Meg Ryan doing it not in front of her boyfriend. Oh, hi. This is now a When Harry Met Sally fan podcast. It's called Baby Fish Mouth. And if you donate now, we will send you six pairs of Days of the Week underpants. There's not going to be a Sunday pair because Sunday is for God. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, this will once again be a Your Last Meal podcast. Maybe. 
And I'm going to tell you about a very fun event that I hope you can attend. It includes me, a delicious burger, and past your last meal guest, Tiffany Thiessen of Save by the Bell fame. Just a ferry ride away from Seattle is the Kitsap Peninsula, a land of gorgeous forests, sparkling water for kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding, and adorable seaside towns with locally-owned boutiques and family-owned restaurants. I have done so many day trips to the Kitsap Peninsula, wine tasting on Bainbridge Island, a girl's trip to Paul's Bow, ice cream and architecture in Port Gamble, watching the seals play from the beach in Port Orchard, and I still haven't seen it all. If you're like me and like off-the-beaten-path places where the locals vacation, you are going to love the Kitsap Peninsula. And this month, we're talking about Bremerton and Silverdale. So Bremerton is known as a naval town, and there are museums if you're into the big ships. But the restaurant scene has been really growing over the past several years. Grab a bowl of clam chowder or homemade lumpia at Bremerton's veteran-owned Axe and Arrow. And visit a land and gardens to see meticulously trimmed bonsai and a tree that has been around since 300 BC. Plan your visit. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal. You can also find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes. If your last meal was a burger, what would your perfect burger be? I took my giant microphone. It's like two feet tall. I took my giant microphone around the newsroom office to ask people that very question. I think my burger would be inspired by a Hawaiian pizza. So I love pineapple, some bacon, jalapeno, maybe some pepper jack cheese. Yeah, I'll take the Hawaiian roll on it too. My perfect burger is a Greek burger with lamb and tzatziki, fresh tomato, red onion, and a little bit of garlic aioli on a brioche bun. Kalamata olives on there for sure. I mean, pitted, obviously. (laughs) Bacon and blue cheese and raw onions. Not caramelized, raw onions. And my burger would be a mushu pork burger. Start off with just a regular old hamburger bun, and you get a pork patty. You've got all the stuff that makes up the mushu, the cabbage, the mushrooms, the black fungi-looking stuff. And then you've got some hoisin sauce, soy sauce, maybe some fish sauce to add to that umami flavor. Bing, bang, boom, you've got a mushu burger. So the reason I wanted to talk about Your Last Meal Burgers is because there is going to be a special Your Last Meal Burger. In Seattle, there is a burger shop called Lil Woody's. There's three locations, and we have partnered up to create a Your Last Meal Burger. So I got to design this burger, which is very fun, but also harder than you would think. Like every hike I went on, this is what we would talk about out loud. Like, what about this? What about that? Uh, And we decided to go with a last meal of a past guest. So Tiffany Thiessen 
of Saved by the Bell fame, Beverly Hills 90210. She also has a cooking show called Dinner at Tiffany's. Uh, She wanted a charcuterie board for her last meal, and that seemed to translate into a really good burger. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what the burger is. You're going to have to watch for that. I know. Big tease. But if you follow me on Instagram, Your Last Meal Podcast, uh, we're going to announce this on Monday. That is when you can know what the burger is. Uh, On Tuesday, August 27th, I'm going to be at the Ballard location of Little Woody's in Seattle, Washington, starting at 7 o'clock. So please come. Friends, fans, we're all going to enjoy the burger together. This is so exciting to me to have my own burger. It's basically like the equivalent of having my own private bathroom in the White House. So don't let me sit there by myself, people. Come have the Your Last Meal burger based on the last meal of Tiffany Thiessen. Now with Les Amber. Lynn Shelton loves good food, but unfortunately, most of her favorite foods make her sick. I don't know, like, how long it's been since you couldn't eat all these things and if it's been gradual, but did you have to kind of let go of food, you know, emotionally and psychologically, or were you never that into food in the first place? I mean, it's such a big part of living. (laughs) It is, and and I'm a huge foodie. I love food. It's one of my greatest pleasures, so it has been a bit of a a drag for sure. And I'm not a great creative cook. So I end up eating a lot of the same things every day. You know, I remember, I mean, just the very first time I figured out that I should probably cut out gluten was years, years ago, It was probably about 22 years ago. And it was well before anybody really knew about what gluten was or what celiac disease was. And I went through a, a number of years of just progressively more and more painful gastrointestinal misery and a friend of mine had the same symptoms, and then she stopped eating wheat and said, you got to try it because all my symptoms suddenly just cleared up. And I remember it was getting really bad because I was in New York City, and I lived near this place called the Chelsea Market. And this bakery that's still there, I just saw it, Amy's Breads opened up. I was eating this incredibly fresh, delicious, extra glutinous bread every day. I remember there, I'll never forget the raisin pecan bread. It was probably the last bread I ever had in my life. And it was so delicious. So I was eating a lot of it, and I was in so much pain every day. <laughs> but I had no idea. So I was like, I'll just have something really gentle today. I'll just have like a, a bagel and cream cheese. You know, anyway, it was just, it was so sad. Um, because I just never imagined back then that you could, that, that bread to a staff of life could possibly hurt you. It seemed like the gentlest food on earth, you know, cereal, bread, pizza, sandwiches, you know, pasta, just everything I ate. I just loved bread products, muffins, cake, everything. And, um, yeah, when I realized I was going to have to cut all that out of my life because I immediately was, you know, completely felt so much better, I just was, it was devastating. You know, now I'm, I do way better if I don't eat any grains. I, so I generally don't even eat gluten-free stuff, but you can, if I want to, I can do it. You know, I remember I was living in Seattle and this place called Flying Apron opened and their first little shop was in the U district. And it, I remember my, my stepdad told me that there was this bakery that was gluten-free. And I was like, nah, it's probably wheat-free. It's not actually gluten. I, I was very doubtful. And at the time, you could only buy this bread. It was in the store. It was only vaguely almost edible if you toasted it. But it was really, <laughs> I mean, it was really just like, there was so little variety back then. And I remember walking into this bakery, because it was always my dream that someday I'd be able to eat fresh-baked, gluten-free, you know. And I walked into this bakery, and I they it was really truly gluten free and they had like fresh baked scones and muffins and bread and I literally just started sobbing. <laughs> I was so happy. 
Um, I couldn't believe it. But now it's like there's gluten-free bakeries all over the place and gluten-free products all over the place. It's so weird. I just can't eat most of them now because they all have sugar in them. But um, that's fine. (laughs) The gluten-free bakery Lynn is talking about, Flying Apron, opened in Seattle in 2001. Now, that is way before the words gluten-free entered the common lexicon. And Flying Apron is still open today. We have a full array of cookies, peanut butter, chocolate chip, ginger molasses, um, chocolate chip menthos. That's Angela Koff. She's owned Flying Apron since 2010. And on top of the vast array of plant-based, gluten-free baked goods. Probably what we're known for the most are our pecan sticky buns, which are relatively new. And our cinnamon rolls that have a feature of our delicious vegan cream cheese frosting. They serve plant-based, gluten-free versions of classic comfort foods like mac and cheese, pot pie, pizza, and lasagna. Because even Garfield is gluten-free these days. Everything that we have is made from scratch. We're not bringing in cheeses from elsewhere. We're not bringing in sauces. The marinara is made in-house. The ricotta cheese is a cashew cheese ricotta that we make in-house. Similar with our Brooklyn Bridge pizza right now that has house-made mozzarella balls. The lasagna is is amazing, though, and it's hearty. 16 to 18 ounces of gluten-free and plant-based love. The first time Lynn walked into a flying apron, she said she sobbed. And Angela says that is not uncommon. A lot of the people that walk in are for the first time in years able to have something that they thought they weren't going to be able to enjoy again. We've had more employees who have had to counsel people through their process when they walk in the door. We've had tears. We've had heavy emotions. We've had people who find such a sense of relief. I mean, it comes from all angles. But the other piece of it, too, is really coaching people, especially when they're taking things like cake orders from customers. We will get more people who are getting their kids' first birthday cake or second birthday cake And they are so emotional on the phone because they've had so many problems with their kids not sleeping or having digestive issues that they've had to source. And I've had to tell people, understand that when that mother or father is calling, they have not slept all year. They are thankful that they finally figured out what's going on. And they're hoping that they can give their kid what every other kid has the opportunity to enjoy without it causing more pain. And um, sometimes just reminding people of that other perspective makes a big difference on how they're able to engage people. 20 years ago, around the time when the bakery opened, gluten-free food was not very good. I had one friend who had celiac back then, and I remember trying some of the foods that he would buy. First of all, he had to go to like the deep, dark depths of the healthiest, hippiest store to find something. But the noodles were very gummy and gross, and the bread was like super dense and really heavy. And things have changed a lot. So can you talk about the kind of ingredients people were using before, why the food was that way, and, and now the things that you guys use and, and the quality you've gotten to? I think a lot of that has to do with testing. I think people made gluten-free too complicated originally. People trying to overcompensate for those standard leaveners and those standard forming and binding ingredients. And now we've realized, hey, there are things that work and it doesn't have to make a recipe super complicated and you don't have to add all sorts of stuff. And even when we took over the bakery, there was a lot of stuff that had garbanzo bean flour in it. Over time, we have whittled it all out. In fact, it actually adds a tremendous amount of calories But it also, I thought, changed the flavor profile of what we really want it to be. I want people to think of a cinnamon roll because it's like a cinnamon roll. And so what we're trying to do is make things look, feel, and have the experience of sort of a more conventional environment. Flying Apron tries to keep things simple. They use flaxseed as an egg replacement and make their own gluten-free flour blends. 
different blends for different recipes using brown rice, potato starch, sorghum, millet, and buckwheat. Is there something that you get a lot of requests for that do people ask you, like, can you make this? I miss this dish. Croissants, laminated dough for sure. Um, And it's a tough one to be able to do. Doing a laminated dough without eggs and without flour, like that's where gluten really does shine is when you have to have stretch pull form those are the things that scientifically we have to try to replace and trying to do that with a laminated dough is tough i've heard that people have done it i just don't know where and i haven't seen one yet but yeah we get croissants all the time bagels i've made some really delicious bagels that were great when they just came out of the oven but once they sat became rock hard the last thing i want to do is give somebody a dense bagel bagels are something that are special you're damn right bagels are special Except for the cinnamon raisin ones. No. You can dump those in the Pacific, Aaron Mason. Rachel. Do you like those? Those are like my favorite. They are. Well, I can tell you why they're your favorite. Okay. It is my personal opinion that no self-respecting Jew will ever get a cinnamon raisin bagel. It is a goy's bagel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that bugs me is when you see someone eating a bagel like a sandwich, like they put the cream cheese in the middle and the other half on top. No. What are you doing? One half at a time, people. One half. Like you're... You're taking down half of your bagel enjoyment. Like, you could have double the bagel. really bothers me. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a break, but you can take this moment to head over to Instagram and follow me, Your Last Meal Podcast. You can make sure you're subscribed to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts. When we come back, what happens when a pastry chef is diagnosed with celiac? Castle manages Flying Aprons West Seattle Bakery and Cafe. I decided to go to pastry school in 2012 because for my entire life there had been a certain level of food insecurity. I had a single mother um, who worked all the time and she didn't cook. So I found a love for cooking very early on and found that I could make lots of things work from what we had available and took that desire to continue to create good food And rather than be in the culinary arts, I wanted to be a baker. I loved the idea of creating something and working something and working through an issue and then having this end product that people really wanted to eat and they found great comfort in it. And it was something that I thought that was valuable and that I could parlay into an actual profession. So Elisa went to Le Cordon Bleu School of Culinary Arts, studied under a French pastry chef, and learned classic patisserie. And decided that I wanted to pursue that as a career. I was working at Cupcake Royale at the time. I started out as a cupcake froster and wanted to move my way up in the cupcake world. And the best way to do that was to work in their kitchen, become a baker. But then Elisa started feeling sick, really sick. I had a lot of uh, tiredness. I had some eczema, um, an awful lot of rejection of food and a lot of reflux. So it was suggested to me that I start histamine elimination diet. So that was the beginning of the journey. I started eliminating coffee, bacon, anything that could have been seen as an allergen. And inside of that elimination was wheat, something that I had never considered that would have even been an issue in my life. But among this elimination journey, I found that I felt better when I wasn't ingesting wheat. So Elisa left the cupcake shop and took a job at a baking production facility. Inside of that production facility, there's a lot of flour in the air. So during this elimination diet, I found that I was not getting better. I had changed where I was working. I had changed the medications that I was taking and I wasn't getting better. 
and I couldn't figure out why until it occurred to me one day that I was breathing in flour, and I had an aha moment that maybe I needed to experience a strictly gluten-free environment to see if that was my issue and found that I had experienced a level of relief and multiple symptoms that I hadn't had since I was a teenager. So that led me to the actual blood test, the endoscopy, the diagnosis with celiac disease, and the sudden realization that I had just invested $50,000 in a profession that was going to kill me. I mean, not to be, you know, like Oprah, but I mean, how did it, how did it make you feel knowing that you couldn't do this thing that you just trained for? You spent a lot of money doing it. What was that feeling? It's powerlessness. Um, I, I felt powerless to support my family in an endeavor that they were all on board with me to do. My husband worked two jobs and supported me while I went to school. My mother took care of my kids while I went to school. Um, All of the people that I worked with supported me while I worked and went to school. And to have the realization that everybody did this for you, and now I can't fulfill that, it it was a great feeling of powerlessness. What am I going to do? Elisa now works as a manager at Flying Aprons West Seattle branch in a very safe, gluten-free environment where there is no cross-contamination and they only buy from certified vendors. Then why is she working as a manager and not a baker? Why isn't she doing the things she loves that she went to school for that she was so passionate about? I do miss it, but I also find that I'm scared. Only because the realness of being a celiac is, it's very strong. When you're breathing in poisons from multiple environments, it it sticks with you. I have a hard time even just eating bread anymore that I know is safe because it, it, it was such a serious health issue for me. Obviously, it was tough for Elisa to give up a lot of the foods that she loved. She had to give up the career that she wanted, but she has learned to cook gluten-free versions of her favorite foods, and she is happy in her current job. But there is still one more element missing, the social component of food. Because of the fear of cross-contamination, Elisa can't eat in restaurants or at other people's houses. She can't eat in any space where gluten may be in the air or on her plate. And there is one particular food that has deep communal ties. Pizza is just such a, a, a food that brings people together. We go out with our friends and we have pizza. When mom or dad don't want to cook, what do we do? We order pizza. What are the things that we leave our kids alone to cook some of the very first times? Is We let them put a pizza in the oven. And our family, that's not something that we can do. I can't have standard pizza brought into my house. Just having it on my dishes is enough to make me sick. It is intense, and it's something that is hard to relay to other people, that it is not an affect, it's not a trend, it's not something that I choose to be difficult. It is something that I do because I have to. And if I don't, it puts me in the emergency room. But don't worry about Elisa. She says she has a great gluten-free pizza crust recipe, and they serve pizza at Flying Apron. I am very well, actually. I have had a 75-pound weight decrease since the beginning of my celiac diagnosis. And I, I grew. I grew in not just my kitchen knowledge, but I grew in my ability to think outside the box and what tastes good and what means tasty 
to other people. One of the best things I like to introduce people to in the plant-based and gluten-free market is a walnut brownie. Our brownies are almost indiscernible from a typical brownie. But Lynn can't have a brownie because of the sugar. So she has found her own sweet treats. What is your favorite thing that you can eat? Like, what is something that's really Mm -hmm. delicious? My little treaty things. Well, um, I told you about my milkshake, effectively. Um, that's, a, that's a recent joy of mine. I love eggs. I eat a lot of eggs <laughs> in a lot of different forms. Um, but I'm also really addicted, like every day almost, because I can't have fruit and I can't have sugar. The sweetest things I can have are yams, sweet potatoes, and winter squashes. And there's this one particular squash, kabocha squash, that I absolutely am addicted to. It's, there's something about the texture of it and the flavor of it that I find particularly satisfying. Yeah, it's very velvety and silky. So delicious. If I really want to be ducking, then I'll cut it into wedges and I'll roast it with like ghee on it or coconut oil or something, you know, and just it's that is just to die for. But even I'll chop it up in cubes if I if I don't have time or I don't want to make my apartment really hot because I'm living in Los Angeles in the middle of summer. I'll stick cubes of it in a bowl and just stick it in the microwave for 10 minutes. And that actually, it makes it quite delicious as well. Yeah, I'm really addicted to it. And just a little coconut oil spray and some salt and I'm good to go. I'm very, very happy girl. And that was Lynn Shelton's last meal. Go see her new movie. It's called Sword of Trust, playing in select theaters across the country through September. And look out for her upcoming limited series on Hulu. It's called Little Fires Everywhere. Thanks so much to Angela Koff and Elisa Castle from Flying Apron Bakery and Cafe. They have two locations in Seattle, one in Fremont, the other in West Seattle. And as someone who can eat everything, I vouch for the lasagna there. My friend Tobias, who is not Garfield, he can't eat gluten, he can't eat dairy. And at one time we went on a hike and from his backpack at our lunch emerges this big brick of lasagna from Flying Apron. What? I was like, what are you doing? Who brings a big slab of lasagna on a hike? And then he let me try it, and I was like, oh, oh, I want to bring lasagna on a hike. It's very good. If you thought you couldn't eat lasagna, go to Flying Apron. And don't forget to mark August 27th on your calendar. Join me and my producer, Laura, and hopefully Aaron Mason. Are you going to come have a burger? Yeah, of course. And Aaron Mason and other... You know, like people always have these cool nicknames for the fans of their podcasts. I don't, we don't like what, like a murderino <laughs> and our friends over at TBTL, they're the tens. Right. I don't know what you people are. Mealies. Your last mealies. <laughs> if I never call you that again, will you guys come? <laughs> uh, so we're going to be at the Ballard Little Woodies in Seattle, Tuesday, August 27th. I'm going to get there at seven, but I'm going to be there for the evening. Come hang out, grab a burger. Make sure to follow along on Instagram. That's where I'm going to announce the details of the burger very soon. Uh, And if you don't eat meat, they have veggie burgers. Their fries are really good. They have milkshakes. Lil Woody's. See you there. This episode was produced by Laura Scott and me. And I decided this week I'm going to give fun facts about you guys related to food. Fun fact. I love when I look over and Laura is eating pasta at her desk because she often twirls it on a spoon with a fork. Like, at her desk. So classy. Fork and a spoon. This episode was recorded by Aaron Mason. Fun fact, Aaron Mason doesn't like peanut butter. That's true. He's a freak. Yeah. I'm here to shame everybody. (laughs) Theme music by Prom Queen. Fun fact, when I go out of town, she stays with my kitty cat, Poppy. Also, she's allergic to nuts and shellfish. (laughs) I'm Rachel Bell, and since I'm the one talking, nobody gets to say anything about me. 
I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Lynn can't have a brownie because Lynn can't have anything that is good in this world. Lynn can't have... Maybe that's a little dramatic. That's a little... This woman can't eat anything. She can't eat anything. There's nothing she can eat. Uh, and we're going to be at the little... Wor- and we're going to be... I don't know who he is. It's going to be me by myself crying. <laughs> Please, somebody show up. <laughs> and don't forget, mark April 27th on your calendar. Join me and my friends and other fans at Ballard... Blah, 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 blah. August. August. What did I say? April. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> at 7 a.m. Okay? <laughs>